With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff. Are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people, it gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Volume. Just a reminder that you can catch me recording this podcast live on AMP. AMP is the new live radio app that lets you call in and chat with me in person while I'm recording. Get the app on Apple's App Store, and make sure you follow me at Chris Mannix to get notified when I go live. This is Boxing with Chris Mannix. Oh, somebody punch him in the face. Anthony Joshua is a composed and ferocious finisher. Watch this. Andy Ruiz is the heavyweight champion. Hosted by SI's Chris Mannix. That was my moment. Now with interviews, analysis, and everything going on in the world of boxing. When you have talent, you are given another chance. Here's Chris Mannix. This is Boxing with Chris Mannix. We are part of the Volume Sports Podcast Network, where we will be for the foreseeable future. If you listen to Colin Cowherd's pod on Monday, the boss broke the news that I'll be re-signing with the volume. Happy to be sticking around. Uh, This partnership has been great for this show. We have grown it exponentially over the last couple of years. The audience numbers are terrific. We were nominated as one of the top sports combat podcasts this past year. So I do love where this show is going. That's all because of you. You are one of the craziest audiences in the world, but you are incredibly dedicated, and I appreciate that. I think boxing needs more fans like all of you because your passion is unbelievable. Even when that passion is weaponized against me, which it happens every so often. So for you guys, not much changes out there. You'll still get this podcast every Wednesday. I'm going to try to have more two-pod weeks. The feedback when I do that has been terrific. We're also going to be doing more on YouTube. We have a dedicated section now on the Volume Sports YouTube channel. I encourage everyone to subscribe there. That page has nearly 700,000 subs and is growing by the week. Uh, I'm also determined at some point during this new deal to do a live show. We have come close a few times to doing one, just not worked out for one reason or another. But I really want to bring a live show to Vegas, maybe New York, Southern California, somewhere where there is a major boxing event. So excited about the present and excited about the future here at The Volume. Excited about today's show as well. How's uh, how's that for a transition? Uh, Virgil Ortiz, undefeated welterweight contender. He is back in action this weekend against Amante Stanionis. This has fight of the year potential, Ortiz and Stanionis. Two skilled, heavy-handed, 147-pounders. I talked to Virgil about the fight, about his recent battle with a somewhat mysterious illness, I would say, and how he sees the welterweight division shaping up over the next year. But first, a lot of news in boxing, as there always is. We have a new opponent for Canelo Alvarez, a familiar one for Anthony Joshua, and a couple of heavyweights 
doing what heavyweights like to do, which is uh, arguing over purse splits on social media. So to break it all down, I'm joined by Mike Coppinger, ESPN Boxing Insider, most plugged-in guy in the game, a must-follow on social media for all boxing fans. And Mike, let's start with the Charlo switcheroo that happened this past week, which uh, took me a minute to wrap my head around. I actually had to send a few text messages, make a couple of calls, just to make sure there wasn't a typo when we saw the poster for Canelo versus Jermel Charlo. Canelo, of course, had been preparing for a showdown with Jermel Charlo, who is the 160-pound title holder. Sometime over the last few weeks, that changed. Now Canelo is going to face his brother Jermel, who is the undisputed champion at 154. It will be the first time in men's boxing during the four-belt era that we get undisputed against undisputed. So you and I, Mike, have been reporting on this for for a few days now. How did we get here? How did we get to the point where Jamal steps out and Jamel steps in? Well, first off, to make things very clear for the listeners, as you and I both know, make no mistake about it, he was going to fight Jamal Charlo. This is a late change. I'm told this got finalized last week that the Canelo side was contacted and told basically Jamal Charlo is not going to be ready, as you reported, He's not, you know, he hasn't fought in two years. He's dealing with personal issues. Do you mind if Jermel slides in? And Canelo didn't care, of course. Why would he? I mean, Jermel is a 154-pounder. I don't think there's a, a big difference between fighting both the Charles besides them being twin brothers. And I think Canelo, I don't think Canelo really cared. So now I think, it's, I think it's a pretty big fight. I think the reaction's been pretty good on social media. I had the same reaction as you because I did not realize this had happened. And I was like, whoa. Um... The one thing that my first reaction is, I see a lot of people saying, oh, well, Jermel Charlo is six foot and he's taller than Canelo. I I don't care. There's a big difference between being taller than somebody and being a guy like Canelo who's fought seven times at 168 pounds, twice at 175. Jermel Charlo has never fought above 154. There is a world of difference between being able to fill out of that frame, and I have no doubt that he could fill out at that frame in time, and fighting an elite fighter, an all-time great, in your very first fight, Two weight classes above. Yeah, it's it's a lot to ask. Um, I do want to add on to something you said. I know there were some people that probably believed something nefarious was going on behind the scenes, that Jermel Charlo was always going to take this fight. Uh, I'm with you. This was going to be a Jermel Charlo-Canelo Alvarez fight, a fight that's been talked about for... Yeah, two, three years now. I mean, we've been discussing these two getting in the ring first when Canelo was at middleweight. Last was last year when PBC made a substantial offer to Canelo to fight Jermall Charlo. That was when Canelo accepted the Bivol fight, went with Golovkin for the second fight. So he went that direction. Jermall Charlo has been dealing with a lot over the last couple of years. He's been dealing with physical issues, with his back, but probably even more significant have been the personal issues he's been dealing with. And so this is not some, there's nothing sneaky going on here. Jamal Charlo wanted this fight, but he's going through a lot in his personal life right now. And he and his team just didn't believe that he'd be ready or at least be focused enough for a fight of this magnitude. This would have been the biggest fight of Jamal Charlo's career, hands down. Uh, A chance to fight a pound for pound great, to make a career high payday. If you're going to take a fight like that, You want to be locked in for a fight like that. You want to be at your very best, and Jamal Charlo was not at his very best. You know, Jamal, right place, right time in some ways. Like, you know, he's he's sitting there. He doesn't have an official fight yet with Tim Zhu that's that's locked in. So the opportunity to fight Canelo Alvarez, probably too good to pass up. Too much money to pass up as well. So you kind of touched on this, but, you know, Jermel has been more active than Jermel, but he's been off for some time now with that hand injury. Uh, do you look at, at Jermel versus Canelo as being more or less competitive than Jermel versus Canelo would have been? I think that's like the million-dollar question right now, right, in, in light of the recent news. And one thing I want to make clear is, while Jermel Charles has been more active than his twin brother Jermel, he has not been very active at all. Since his September 2020 win over Jason Rosario... Canelo, he's fought just twice. Those are two fights with Brian Castaño. First fight, life and death. I thought it was a robbery. Castaño should have won, as did, I think, everybody else. And then he knocks Castaño out in the rematch. In that same time span, Canelo Alvarez has fought seven times. 
So that's another thing Jermel is going to be dealing with. And we saw Cano probably not look his best against John Ryder. I think some of that has to do with fight, his first fight after hand surgery. Jermel Charlo is going to be fighting Cano in his first fight after breaking his hand in two places. And as someone who's broken their hand a couple of times, it is your hand never quite feels the same. And I know they're athletes and they're going to have way better rehab and recovery. But I think you ask athletes to say the same thing. So I think Charles is going to be facing a lot here. And I do want – so I, I don't know. I, I, for me, it just keeps reminding me of Canelo Alvarez versus Amir Khan. I, I'm not – I know Charles is better than Amir Khan. He's bigger than Amir Khan. I know this is many years later. But I remember when the Canelo Khan fight was announced, people were like, whoa, Khan's jumping up. He's going to give Canelo problems with his speed. I think the fight could look sort of similar – short of the explosive knockout with Charlo, you know, using his jab and counter-punching ability over the first half. And I think Canelo's going to get him over the second half. I think way too much is being made, Chris, of Canelo Alvarez's supposed downfall. I mean, John Ryder's a pretty good fighter, and Canelo still mopped the absolute four with the guy. He gave him a, you know, savage beating. One more thing I want to add before, you know, I know you're going to move on, but I was texting with Tim Zhu over the weekend. And I was like, how do you feel about this? Because I think this is a, an example for other fighters. You know, Jermel, you know, Tim Zhu thought he was going to fight Jermel Charlo again after that January 28th fight was rescheduled. And instead of waiting around, he stayed active. Beat up Tony Harrison, ninth round knock, uh, knockout, and knocked out um, Carlos Ocampo in one round last month. And now Tim Zhu doesn't even have a Charlo fight. So what if he had sat around? Mm-hmm. And I was texting with Tim Zhu, and he said, you know, the reality is, is that Canelo should be fighting Benavidez, and I should be fighting Charlo. We've both waited two years. And he also said, quote, he had one last fight in him because he was going to lose. So he took the one with the bigger pay. He's a businessman. And and I have no qualms with that. I I do think the ripple effects of what happened there with the Charlos should be twofold. One, the WBO (laughs) should elevate Tim Zhu to full champion. He has earned that distinction. He's the interim title holder. He has fought twice this year. I don't even like. I'd be surprised, quite frankly, if after this fight with Canelo, win or lose, we see Jermel Charlo back at 154. You just—that's just too much weight to put on and then drop back. And Jermel has been at 154 for some time, so the WBO should elevate Tim Zhu to that full title holder. And the WBC, look—they've been letting Jermel Charlo hold his claim on that WBC belt for some time now. He hasn't defended it in over two years. Uh, I understand the personal issues are significant, but Carlos Adamas has earned the right to be called the WBC middleweight title holder. He has been active. He just had a quality win over Julian Williams, albeit one with some controversy there at the end, but he was probably going to win that fight one way or the other. Um, He deserves to be the full middleweight champion, and Jamal Charlo should be the champion in recess. The WBC uses that, that distinction all the time, They've used it in the past. They should use that for, uh, you know, for uh, Jamal Charlo. So those would be the the sanctioning body ripple effects I'd like to see happen with this. Yeah, I agreed. I mean, sanctioning bodies, you and I complain all the time, rightfully so, when they make these interim champions. These were two instances where there was actually a rightful interim champion. If you're going to make the interim champion, you actually have to follow through. And when the champion is not fighting, actually strip them. Because why else have the interim champion other than the real reason is you want to gobble up extra sanctioning fees. Mm-hmm. So Paco told us over the weekend that there's a possibility that Charlo enters the ring as the WBO champion, but he's stripped immediately after the fight, which is not surprising. I know they want to say undisputed champion versus undisputed champion. And I, like you said, I would be shocked if Charlo fights at 154 again. He's a big guy to begin with. Uh, dropping, back, you know, traditionally when fighters move up in weight, they don't come back down especially two weight classes. Yeah. The guy going to go up to 168 and then come back down to 54? No, and, and I, I have no problem with Jermel Charlo holding on to that title through September 30th. I mean, it is, it's cool to say undisputed against undisputed. It's a marketing ploy. It makes the fight a little bit bigger, but to your point, the second that fight is over, one way or the other, Jermel Charlo needs to be the former WBO 154-pound champion. Am I wrong to think, Mike, that how this played out could work out phenomenally for Canelo Alvarez? Because we've talked about this three-fight deal for the last couple of weeks since you first reported on it. Um, First fight we knew was going to be Jamal. At least we thought it was going to be Jamal. The final fight was largely 
you know, earmarked for David Benavidez. It seemed like that would be the final fight. I don't know. I couldn't figure out what the middle fight was going to be. Was it going to be like Demetrius Andrade, who Canelo has not fought at multiple weight classes over the years? Uh, Was somebody else going to emerge from the PBC universe? Now, you have a situation here where if Canelo fights Jermel Charlo and wins, maybe Jermel gets a fight November, December, before the end of the year, and he's ready to go in May. Uh, you know, there's a marketability to that. I beat your brother. Now I'm going to beat the other, your other brother. I'm going to be your brother. Uh, it, it feels like, and Canelo, who's not taking a pay cut for this Jamel Charlo fight, he's going to make every nickel he was promised by the PBC for fighting Jamal Charlo. He could go into a fight with, with Jamal next year and make another $35, $40 million. This could work out phenomenally for Canelo Alvarez. Yeah, Chris, before this was even announced that he was fighting Jermel, I had been hearing all along that Jermel was very likely going to be the second fight and, and like, you know, to get revenge for Jamal. And I thought he's going to move up two weight classes. And the other name I've been hearing all along is Errol Spence. I, I, I think there's a great chance that Errol Spence, win or lose against Terrence Crawford, the Reese Spence fight Canelo or Alvarez. Spence has talked about fighting Canelo a whole lot, but he's a 47-pounder that will be moving up. Although I, I think that, this, you know, I think Spence and Crawford, this is probably going to be both of their last fights at 47, from what I've been hearing. But I, I think it's a perfect storyline. Jamal Charles can get a, get a fight in, shake up the ring rust. Hopefully he can get two fights in, right? There's no reason why if he ever he can sort, sort through his personal issues. And by the way, I think you and I both agree that we don't blame him for not taking the fight. If you're not ready, and I don't want to see somebody just take the payday, right? People are paying a lot of money for the tickets to this fight in pay-per-view. So, but that's a perfect storyline. Very WWE-esque, your favorite. Get the, get the twin brother trying to take revenge. I think that's perfect for the second fight. And one more thing to circle back from before when you were asking. You know, I've always thought that Jamal Charlo was a little bit better. And I think that was the conventional wisdom for a while. And I thought Charlo, you know, he's a bigger guy than Jamal. He's a, he has good size, strength. He has a great power jab. Um, I, I thought it would have been a better matchup with Canelo. But the inactivity was a concern, as was his mental state. So, I think Canelo versus Jamal Charlo with a couple of fights under his belt, that's the biggest fight. Yeah, and you mentioned Jamel's hand injury, which has taken some time to heal. I mean, they've delayed the Tim Zhu fight in part because the hand didn't heal quite as quickly maybe as they expected. You can spar as much as you want with a hand injury. You're not going to trust it right away when you're in the ring. It's going to take you three, four, five rounds, maybe more, to really believe that it's okay. I mean, I say that because Canelo told me the same thing after the fight against John Ryder. He didn't trust that injured hand for most of the first half of the fight. And if you're going into a fight against an elite fighter like Canelo Alvarez and you're a little unsure of your physical health, it just makes it that much more difficult to uh, to to win and succeed at a high level. So we'll see. We'll see what he can do. I, I, think, it's, I think it's just as marketable because of the undisputed factor, but... I don't know. I don't. I don't know that. I don't know. I see a path to victory for Jamel Charlo in a, in a fight like that, unless Canelo is really slid, which I don't think. I'm with you. I don't think that's actually uh, happened at this point. Um, all right, let's look back at the fight this past weekend. Jared Anderson, one of the best heavyweight prospects in all of boxing, he gets his first true test uh, as a headliner. Faces Charles Martin, who briefly held uh, a version of the heavyweight title. Um, first time for. Jared Anderson to go the distance. He did put Charles Martin down in the third round, but I, I no one would say that was Jared Anderson's finest performance. In fact, you're seeing a lot of stuff out there now about, well, did we overrate Jared Anderson? He couldn't put down Charles Martin. Anthony Joshua did it in, uh, in a couple of rounds. Uh, what was your takeaway from watching Jared Anderson against Charles Martin? That was the first thing I was thinking. Joshua, all those years ago, you know, flattening Charles Martin. Charles Martin is a legitimate gatekeeper, and you need those. And Jared Anderson did beat him, so you have to give him credit. It's no, it's no slouch to beat Charles Martin. But it certainly wasn't a sort of statement victory that I think people, him and Topper, were looking for, right? It's not like fans are saying, oh, yeah, this guy's a definite heavyweight champion now. But I think it was a great learning experience for Jared Anderson. He got – I don't want to say hurt. I think the broadcast was probably um, – I didn't think he was that badly hurt many of those times. I thought Charles Martin landed a couple of good shots. But Jared faced adversity. He won virtually every round. But I, I think as, as boxing fans and media, right, we want to see explosive knockouts from our future heavyweight champions. So I don't want to have a knee-jerk reaction, reaction here. I want to see Jared 
Anderson, a couple more fights. I, I saw him on Twitter today. Maybe Michael Hunter was being thrown around. He fights Michael Hunter. I think that's a far tougher. Michael, Michael Hunter Martin. wants every fight out there. Michael Hunter is one of those active tweeters when it comes to heavyweight contenders. I like that fight too. I mean, that's a difficult fight. I mean, Michael Hunter gets this reputation as a guy that moves around a lot. That's not the Michael Hunter I've seen in recent fights. I've seen Michael Hunter engage a lot more in his recent fights and has shown some power in some of those fights. So I'd love to see that fight. I, look, when when a prospect steps up and goes the distance with an experienced opponent, I, I agree. I don't think the knee-jerk reaction should be he gets exposed. Uh, I Look, I, I think Jared Anderson could have made a statement by stopping Charles Martin, who, in addition to being stopped by Anthony Joshua, was also stopped by Luis Ortiz and took this fight on about two weeks' notice. So he was kind of ripe for uh, uh, getting a stoppage. It was, Mike, the second fight in a row that I've seen Jared Anderson get tagged a little bit. Like, he takes some punches. Uh, you go back to that fight at Madison Square Garden that he fought months ago. Uh, Jerry Forrest hit him with some punches. And, you know, Jerry you know, was just there to just wing punches and get the hell out of there. But he, he hit him with some shots. And Charles Martin hit Jared Anderson with some shots. So if I'm, if I'm taking anything away from the Jared Anderson experience over the last couple of years, it's that he maybe needs a little bit more work on his defense Maybe he's a little bit more work on uh, just not being uh, a little bit more sharpening up, I guess, of all the edges, which I guess you could say is the same thing for every prospect. Jared Anderson is only 23 years old, but I don't view him as being on the cusp of any kind of heavyweight title shot. I think he's probably a year, two years probably away from that type of of fight. I think a Hunter fight is good. Guys like Hunter are good. Uh, I think they'll... Tell us more about where Jared Anderson is as a heavyweight. Uh, agreed. And Jared Anderson is, what, 23 years yeah. old? I mean, heavyweights traditionally develop a little bit later than other guys uh, age-wise. So I don't think there's any rush on Jared Anderson. I do think he gets punched too much. I actually ran into Jared Anderson after the Jerry Forrest fight, and I said something like, oh, congrats, great fight. And he was like, oh, man, I got, I got hit way too much. So he knows it. He's pretty critical of himself. I was impressed by that as a guy who needs to improve and as a young prospect. I think it's wait and see mode. But what is interesting to me is heavyweight division. You look at what I think is the core four, right? Fury, Wilder, Usyk, and Joshua. They're all getting up there. I mean, mm-hmm. Wilder's going to be 38 this fall. Uh, Usyk's 36 right now. He's turning 37, I believe, later this year. Fury's uh, 34. Joshua's going to be 34 in October. So, And you go down, you Mike, you a- go down the list. You've got Joe Joyce, who's in his late 30s. Jay Li Zhang in his late 30s. Like, even the second tier of guys are getting up there. Yeah, so, I, I mean, we're badly in need of some heavyweights to step up to the next level. And, you know, when you look at the, the crop right now, I don't think there's one guy to me that stands out as, oh, that is definitively the guy. I think somebody's going to – somebody will step up, right? We know that that's all that will happen. But when I look at it, you're, you're, taking, you're talking about, what, Philip Hergovich, Frank Sanchez, uh, Jurgen Hovhannisian, so, who PBC's been fast-tracking, and uh, – Jalalov, maybe. Jalalov could be Jalalov, in that mix, yeah. yeah. I mean, Martin Bacoli, I think, even at his 30 years Dubois, old. How old is Dubois now? He's still in his 20s, right? So he's still, I mean, he's, he's still in his 20s. He's going to get an opportunity at least. You know, we'll see what he does against Usyk, but at least we'll see uh, what he got. We know what's going to happen. I think we know what's going to happen there. <laughs> hey, Frank Warren <laughs> says now is the time for Daniel Dubois. Frank Warren yeah. is calling the upset, which I'm not sure Frank Warren, well, I guess he would want it because then he can make a huge domestic show now with we, Tyson we, Fury. We, we, are, we are sort of due for a major upset, right? Have it feels to. like we're due for something crazy. I, I, I can't see Daniel Dubois. What that fight's going to be where? In no. Poland? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, there's no. I don't know. That's going to no. happen. But a uh, good opportunity for him. But uh, yeah, you're right. I, I, no one has emerged as the next big thing. I keep hearing about Jalalov, but let's let's see what he does against upper level competition. Uh, Jared's got a lot of potential. I don't even know who are we missing on that list. Who's the next? Who else is the next heavyweight contender out there? I don't. Uh, I, I think we covered uh, most of them. I mean, I, I want to see what a Martin Bacoli could do because he's already beaten Tony Oka. He's a pretty tough guy. I'm not saying he's going to be the guy, but he could be. He a got beat up by Michael sure. Hunter, though. You know, that was. That was a tough one. They should do that rematch. That, that would be a good rematch. Actually. Again, I think Michael Hunter will fight anybody. Like I, I, I swear to God, every time I, I look at Michael Hunter's timeline, he's just calling out somebody. It doesn't even matter. He's not even going for. He's going for like the dangerous guys, like the guys nobody. He was calling out Hergovich before people wanted to fight Hergovich. So I, I would love. I love to see Michael Hunter against. You kind of nailed it. Jared Anderson, Michael Hunter would be a great fight. 
before the end of the year. And that would tell us, I think, a lot about Jared Anderson. All right, a great fight coming up this weekend is Virgil Ortiz against Amanda Stanionis. I said at the top, Mike, I thought this fight had fight of the year potential. I really believe that. I think this could be a absolute war between two of the top welterweight contenders in all of boxing. Virgil Ortiz, undefeated, perfect knockout streak. Uh, every fight he's had has ended with a knockout. Stanionis, 14-0, nine knockouts. He's got a quality win over Butaev. Has a quality win, or at least a, a good win, over Thomas DeLorme. Uh, let's start with, like, are you as, it's kind of a cliche, but are you, like, as excited about this fight as I am? Because I'm ready to see these two guys get in the ring. They were supposed to happen back in January. It was supposed to happen a couple of months later. There have been multiple delays for both guys having health issues. Now here we are with these two guys getting in the ring in San Antonio. Uh, how do you feel about this fight? I love this fight. I, I think, I, I keep hearing about Virgil Ortiz is fighting Sandy Onis. Like, I think it's much more than that. I think this is a genuine coin flip fight. And I was curious. I just checked the odds right now. Stan, uh, Virgil Ortiz is about a 4-1 to favorite, I know. which I think is wild. I know. That's crazy. Uh, you know, can I tell you why I think that's the case? And Sergio Moore and I were talking about this uh, earlier in the week. Um, Ortiz, is, they both have good resumes. Not great, but they both have good resumes. Ortiz, when he fights the best on his resume, wipes them out. Stops them. He stopped Kavalaskis. Uh, he stopped Michael McKinson. Uh, who am I missing? There's uh, there's somebody else on that list. I'm blanking me, on. Me right. machine. He stopped me. me that's machine. what I mean. Oh, me machine. That. Me oh, machine. Okay. Michael McKinson. And, uh, Maurice Hooker was the other name on his list. Just yeah, wiped him out. Um, Stanionis. Nine of his fourteen wins have come by knockout. But when he's fought the best on his resume, he's gone the distance, right? He went the distance with Butayev, which was an excellent fight at that time, an underrated fight because, you know, both those guys, while not having the profile of some of the top welterweights, were st still two very good fighters. And he goes the distance with Delorme. And maybe that looks a little bit worse because Delorme, the next fight just gets flattened by Boots Ennis. Um, so I think that's what, where the odds come from. I think odds makers are looking at Virgil Ortiz and in recent fights... When he stepped up his competition, he's continued to put them down. Whereas Stanionis, while I think his skill level is a little bit higher than Virgil Ortiz, I think there's probably a belief he can't hold up to the pressure that Ortiz is going to put on him. Well, the, the number one thing that stands out to me when I watch him out to Stanionis fight is his strength. I mean, this guy has a, he's incredibly strong in the clinch. And we know this is going to be a fight with a lot of, of fighting on the inside, mm. for sure. So you have two big, strong welterweights. Both, I think, with power. Maybe Stan Jonas, like you said, doesn't have the finishing power, but he certainly has more than enough power to gain somebody's respect and keep them off him. He has a nice jab. He goes to the body, which you always look for, right? So I think it's a tough fight. I don't, I don't really know who to pick. I mean, I think it's really a, a toss-up fight. I think people are sleeping on Stan Jonas. He has Freddie Roach in his corner. And he's a guy that we've been hearing about, right, for a long time, even when he was on the way up. This isn't somebody that came out of nowhere or is overachieving. I think he's been hungry for his shot. He had the appendectomy in January. And the longer we've waited for the fight, the more I've been looking forward to it. I do think it could be fighting here. Virgil Ortiz, too. I mean, look at all the health issues he's had. Yeah. Um, he's been going through a, a lot. And these are both these are two fresh fighters. Neither one of these guys has been in a truly grueling fight yet. They're both young. I think Stanionis is being underrated. I do. I mean, at four to one, that's nuts. You know, if, if you make Ortiz two to one, I, I can buy that. Sure. Um, Four to one is wild. That's not giving Stanionis enough credit. Uh, I, I, you know, if if Vir one thing I've seen of Virgil, it's in a lot of Virgil fights in the last few years, when he gets you hurt, he finishes you. Like he's really good. He's as good as they get in welterweight when it comes to finishing. Not as well. Terence Crawford's as good as they get, but he is up there when it comes to being able to finish guys. And that's what I wonder. Like if he gets, if he rocks Stanionis, can Stanionis recover? you know, quickly enough. And uh, I, look, I think Stanley, uh, look, it's, it's a great fight. <laughs> we can go back and forth on how this whole thing plays out. I think it's going to devolve at some point into a war and then we'll see what happens. Both these guys really strong, both these guys, big punchers. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. And look, I think this guy, you know, whether it's later on this month, after the Crawford Spence fight happens or later on this year, whoever wins this fight is going to be the fully recognized WBA title holder. Like, I think, I don't see Crawford or Spence defending 
against the winner of this fight. I, I don't know about you, but I, I think they're both e- either either dropping the belts or moving up to 154, however that works out. I think this the winner of this fight is going to be a full champion before the end of the year at 147. Yeah, like I said before earlier, I don't think we see Crawford or Spence ever fight again at 47 after this fight. Even if they do, they're going to be fighting each other. I, I don't, I, and then at that point, they move up. So I don't. I think they're both going to be done with 47. We're looking at Stan Yonas, Virgil Ortiz, Boots Ennis. Those are the three guys at 47. And, you know, of, of course, we're going to get some guys that are going to move up, I'm sure, from 140. But it's good. We, like we saw, we're talking about a heavyweight, right? You need these young guys stepping up. Boots Ennis is fighting this weekend, too. Mm-hmm. And you got to say that Virgil Ortiz and Stan Yonas are right there right now until otherwise proven. Yeah. Uh, and look, I certainly hope that these young welterweights wind up fighting each other, that we're not doing the Virgil Stanionis boots <laughs> dance for, for some time. Uh, and I look, I, you brought up the one thing I want to add to this, this discussion is you brought it up the, the unknowns, right? Like Stanionis had an appendectomy, what in January? Like <laughs> he was going to fight again in March. I thought that was crazy. Like you have an yeah, appendectomy you- and you're going to fight again two months later. So I think this delay has probably been pretty good for him. And, and Ortiz has battled this this rhabdo illness, which like is obviously a serious thing, but is not something people really know about. It's obviously affected him in a multiple different ways. He'll be the first to tell you that he thinks he's got it under control now. But I mean, the 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 layoff has been long for both these guys, and that could be a variable when they both step in the ring. So a lot of unknowns when it comes to this, but we do know it's going to be a tremendous fight one way or the other. This is, of course, a Golden Boy promoted show. So Oscar De La Hoya will be there. Uh, <laughs> like I'm going to try to talk to Oscar for this show later in the week. Uh, that's I'm going to try because there's just so much to get into Mike with him. Like I, at the top of the list is, is what the hell are we doing with Ryan Garcia? Like, you know, you and I both know this is behind the scenes, world war three, right? There's, there's breach of contract, you know, letters being sent. There's lawsuits being filed. There's just a lot of, of paperwork going back and forth. Meanwhile, like Oscar's on Twitter when he's not arguing with Ryan Garcia, talking about, you know, making Ryan Garcia a big fight. <laughs> you tell me, is Ryan Garcia going to be in a fight this year in 2023? Like, are, you know how this stuff goes. When you're battling with your promoter, I don't know how this ends with Ryan Garcia back in the ring before the end of the calendar year. I mean, I, I, I'm confident that by by the time you talk to Oscar, that it's more than likely that Ryan Garcia would have filed a counter suit. So that's going to be coming down the pipeline. Obviously, we all know that's coming. I, I thought Canelo was going to be out for a while. It turned out it got resolved pretty quickly. But usually, these things do drag out, like you said, Andre Ward, Mikey Garcia. I mean, it's not like Golden Boy is just going to like lie down here and be like, "Oh yeah, your claims are right." Like this, they're going to like drag this out. I hope it doesn't drag out too long, but. I just can't imagine this going away quickly. And Ryan Garcia, I guess he moved to Dallas now to be with Derek James. He grew out a beard, it looks like. <laughs> so uh, Oscar's fighting with Eddie Hearn seemingly every single day now on Twitter. I don't even, you know, Eddie Hearn, I think, and Oscar De La Hoya are competing to see who could do more interviews. It, um, which, is, which is wild because the only conversations I want Oscar and Eddie Hearn to have is over Mungia Berlanga. Like, that's the only, like, stop just sniping at each other and let this and don't let this calendar year end with like Jaime Munguia against uh, I don't know D-level super middleweight and Edgar Berlanga against Jason Quigley's cousin like I don't I don't I don't want to <laughs> I don't want to see it I, th- we, that's that's a, a we can get a we can get a revenge storyline for Quigley's cousin uh, yeah I mean you know, uh, yeah <laughs> I was gonna go somewhere with that, but I was gonna I was gonna take a shot at my pal Sergio there for a second. But I'm gonna leave that alone. I'm gonna have Sergio come on the pod and defend himself later in the week as well. Um, I, I just I, I you know I don't know how this benefits anyone to have Ryan and Golden Boy at each other's throats and put Ryan on the shelf for the rest of the year. Like Ryan lost to Javante Davis, but his profile grew as a result of it. You know, all the things that, that went into that, that event, the outcome of that event events with the million ish pay-per-view buys, you know, sitting on the shelf. Like, I mean, when I first heard the idea floated that Ryan Garcia was going to fight Rolly Romero, I'm like, brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Like Rolly Romero is an opponent. Ryan Garcia should beat. And in beating him, he can finally become a world champion. He can get a title around his waist. And then He's not really obligated to like take that belt and go defend against Regis Progre. He could have taken that belt and fought 
Ishmael Barroso. And you could have said, you know what? I'm going to give the real 140-pound champion a shot, which would have been a nice title defense. And then maybe you go fight O'Hara Davies, which is not an easy fight, but it's certainly one Ryan Garcia could win. And then all of a sudden, Mike, you're in late 2024, and then you can start talking about Devin Haney, and you can start talking about Regis Progray, and you can start talking about the big fights. Then you'll have a full year with Derek James under your belt and have some confidence-building wins. Now, like it sure sounds like, you know, we're going to have a purse bid for the Raleigh Romero, you know, fight. It's... It, yeah, there's no talk of Ryan Garcia against anyone substantive. Like now, now we're just—it's like the worst possible outcome has happened, where Ryan Garcia is sitting on the shelf and a very smart, clear path to getting him back on track is now just being completely disregarded. Yeah, I think you laid it out perfectly, Chris. Because regardless of what you think Ryan Garcia's ceiling is, there's no doubt in my mind that he needs to develop more. Like anyone would tell you that, and. You know, he's a young kid. He hasn't had that many fights against top competition. That would have been the perfect way, really, to kind of get him ready for these big fights. And now he's fought under the, the spotlight once against Gervonta Davis. Um, he's definitely going to be better at 140. I just hope this could be resolved sooner than later because I, I, I wonder how, you know, the zone loses Canelo Alvarez and now you have Eddie Hearn and Oscar De La Hoya, the ones doing the big fights with each other. Uh, this has to get resolved. Yeah, I think you and I both know that if we're betting men, it's not going to get resolved anytime soon. It's just not like this, this kind of stuff gets uglier before it gets any better. I think Canelo was kind of an aberration there, you know, where, you know, Canelo used his juice and used kind of, you know, what the contract said to get out sooner rather than later. I don't, I don't see this one being resolved, you know, good. Also for people I've spoken to, you know, that, that, that personal guarantee that Oscar De La Hoya had and that Canelo lawsuit, I, I, what I heard that loomed large over resolving it quickly. And people tell me that, you know, there's not going to be any quick resolution here for that reason. Yeah, it's unfortunate because, uh, you know, Ryan is the biggest star in the Golden Boy stable. Like, you know, in the last three years, if they lose Ryan Garcia, they'll have lost Canelo Alvarez and Ryan Garcia, which, like, that's crippling. <laughs> that's just crippling. And yeah. look, Virgil is great. Jaime Munguia is is entertaining, but Ryan's the crown jewel in all that. You know, if there's any way of salvaging that, and I'm I get I'm skeptical that there is, but if there's any way of salvaging that, Golden Boy should be doing everything humanly possible to to salvage that relationship. Um, last thing I want to ask you about: What's going on with Andy Ruiz and Deontay Wilder here? Like, what what are we doing now? <laughs> like, I you know, look, I am I am a regular kind of three times a day scroller through boxing scene. Um, and when I do, like, one of the headlines is always Ruiz responds to Wilder. Wilder responds to the Ruiz. Ruiz. Wilder says, you've got an offer. Ruiz says, it's too low. Wilder says, take it. Like, meanwhile, I don't even know what the money is. Like, what? what I don't even know what the guarantee is. Are you offering, like, pay-per-view splits? Because it's not going to be a big number anyway. Because as much as I like Wilder versus Ruiz, that is a bad, bad fit for pay-per-view like is this just more boxing bluster or do you think there's any kind of traction towards making a wilder ruiz fight i don't see this fight happening chris i, I this fight's been in talks for what 18 months now tremendous fight if everybody wants to see that they know it's going to be a, you know heavyweight classic given the styles and you have two big names but i spoke to andy ruiz's father on friday or sorry thursday morning and he said look i spoke to andy my son he said, we're not doing this fight unless it's 50-50. To me, 50-50 is fair. Uh, you have they're both former champions. They both have good names. I guess you could argue that Wilder has a bigger name, but I don't think it's by much. So if you want to give Wilder 55-45, fine. But 70-30 is wild to me. Hmm. Like, I don't see that. You know, it's, And that's the thing. We have Wilder saying he's not moving off that. If he's truly not moving off it, then I think the, the bridge is too wide right there. Um, and I, they are dealing with guarantees right now. I, I was told that Ruiz was offered the same amount of money he made for the Luis Ortiz fight, which was $4 million. And uh, Wilder Heard is asking for much, much more. So um, I, I don't know. And then, of course, you have the, uh, the Saudi supercard in the background, mm-hmm. which we've been – you know, I, every time I hear about the Saudi supercard, I just think about all the times Eddie Hearn has said, Joshua's fighting Fury. He's fighting Fury. And – all these other things. So I, I don't know. Is it actually happening in December? And if it is, 
then how is Wilder going to fight Ruiz first? That's a dangerous fight to take if you're sitting on a, you know, a bag of, a huge bag of money from the Saudis. I mean, what do you what do you think? I, I think it's a dangerous fight to take if that Saudi offer is signed, sealed, and delivered, which until it actually is signed, sealed, and delivered, we just don't know uh, where that's going to go. You know, I understand Deontay Wilder asking for a lot of money. He's made a lot of money over the last few years. The Fury fights made him a very wealthy man. Uh, I'm sure he made a lot of money to fight Robert Hellenius. My question is, like, who is putting up these guarantees and what kind of financial bath are you going to take on a fight like that? I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but, it, you know, I, the, the wilder Hellenius fight did not do well on pay-per-view. I'm not sure how you got your money back on that one. Um, and now you're talking about making Wilder Ruiz, which is a good fight for, you know, people like you and me and the boxing, you know, diehards. But to me, it's a Showtime fight. Like, it's a really good Showtime fight. Oh, 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 I disagree. Oh, you think it's pay-per-view? I, I, okay. You, I mean, look, you know me. I'm, I'm usually the first person to say that. This is not a pay-per-view fight. Okay. I think only big fight. I, I do think this is a big fight. I think casual fans know who Wilder is at this point. Of course. I think a lot of casual fans know who Ruiz is. It's a heavyweight fight. I actually have, I think it does like 300,000 pay-per-view Really? Guys. Okay. That, I, I would I, have I said do. less. I would have said sub 200, uh, which may be enough to make your money back. If oh, you're, I don't. I, that would surprise me. I mean, like, Mike, one of the things, both these guys have been off for, for a while. Like, they're, they're known guys, but they, they, it, it, you know, activity helps popularity. There's a direct correlation there. And, yeah, Wilder, what was it, October of last year, he fought Robert Lenny, so he got back into the mix. But before that, it was the third <laughs> Fury fight, and, you know, he's been on the shelf for some time. Same thing with Andy Ruiz, very inactive. Um, you know, may, look, may, maybe you're right. Maybe it could, you know, look, I, I'd, I'd buy it. I think it's an excellent fight. I think, you know, two, two former heavyweight champions in a fight that's probably going to end by knockout one way or the other. Um, yeah, I'd be, I'd be interested. Uh, I, that's a lot of business. 300 is a big number, I think, for, for a fight like that. But like, to go back to the Saudi idea, like, if you're Deontay Wilder and that Saudi money is real, like, you're, you're going to get the Ruiz fight on your terms. You're not going to take it at all because – Whatever number you're going to make from the Saudis is your golden parachute. That's your retirement. That's it. Like you're you're going to make a boatload of money, and you're going to get another chance to have a legacy defining fight. Uh, you had the three Fury fights; they were phenomenal. Deontay Wilder did not embarrass himself in any of those fights, but he didn't win any of those fights. Now you get a chance to fight Anthony Joshua, and you get a chance to put a big name on your resume in a fight that you will you will have a great chance to win. There's no question. About that, I guess the question is like, you know, you talk to a lot of the same people I do. I, I don't know if this Saudi thing is real. Like, it's December, then it's January. It's it's going to be Joshua against Wilder. Then it's going to be Joshua Wilder, Fury, Usyk. It's just hard to get a real accurate read on on where this this card is going. Yeah, I mean, I think the number one issue is is that you have so many moving parts, right? Like, you're talking about four different fighters with their own management teams and big egos looking for big money. And you're dealing with a government entity, more or less. Um, you know, Eddie Eddie played journalist a couple of times now. He said Fury was fighting Andrew Ruiz. That, that was never happening. And there was an offer. I mean, you know, he says that Fury's fighting Ngannou in an exhibition. Maybe he is. I don't know. But if Fury, if you're telling me that Fury is out, he's the number one person in that mix. That would change everything dramatically, right? And I was told that the Saudis aren't even making firm offers until Usyk fights Dubois, which makes sense, right? If Usyk looks bad against Dubois, his value changes. Joshua's going to fight on August 12th. If he looks bad or loses, his value changes. So I think all of this talk is premature anyway until we get through the end of August. It'd be a fun card if they can put it together, man. We'd, we'd have never seen anything like that, ever. You know, two high-level heavyweight fights. <laughs> man, that would, be, that would be something to see. That would be worth flying over there to go and watch and, uh, and see Absolutely. firsthand. All right, follow Mike Coppinger on Twitter, at Mike Coppinger. does a great job covering boxing uh, backwards and forwards. Mike, always appreciate your time and your insight, man. Thanks for joining me. I appreciate it, Chris. And when we come back, my conversation with Virgil Ortiz. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Now, I'm supposed to talk here about what I remember and what I loved about my first car. And that's easy for me to do because I still have my first car. And as long as it keeps running, and so far so good, I intend to have that car probably until the day I die. 
Uh, that's how much I love that car. It is like a child to me. Now, it does require some upkeep, and that's why I'm grateful for a place like eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back, and joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Virgil Ortiz is an undefeated 147-pound contender. On Saturday, he will face the stiffest test of his career when he steps in the ring with Amanta Stanionis, a WBA secondary title holder who is also undefeated, also has a lot of power. It's going to be a great fight in San Antonio, Texas. That's a fight you can watch live on DAZN, and Virgil joins me here on the show. Let's start with your health. You've had a couple of bouts with Rabdo over the last year, year and a half. Uh, it was an illness that forced you to postpone this fight from a couple of months ago to this July 8th date. How are you feeling physically going into this fight? I feel uh, 100%. Um, I'm just, I'm ready to go. I'm mentally and physically just ready. You know, I, I think people understand cuts causing cancellations or other illnesses that people understand causing cancellations. When people hear rhabdo, I'm sure a lot of people don't know what that means and how that makes a fighter and a person physically feel. How would you describe your battle with this over the last year or so? All right. Uh, I'll explain it scientifically. So basically um, my muscles start breaking down or who, you know, whoever's happened to the muscles start breaking down. Uh, it starts like the muscles start secreting or whatever proteins to like your kidneys and your livers. And I mean, it, you need all organs to survive, but those are like some of the vital ones right there, you know, to, you know, and uh, for me, it just felt like my, my body was shutting down. Like my reflexes were, were going, my, my strength was going, energy levels were going, uh, just going up the stairs, uh, like, uh, a seven step stairs. Oh, it, it was, it was a task. I, I would, I would literally get like short of breath after doing that. And, you know, obviously being a professional athlete, that's not supposed to happen. And, um, of course, if I, if I can't get up a flight of stairs without, you know, my breath going away, <laughs> imagine me sparring and, and training the way I train, you know, and th there was, there was absolutely no way of me fighting. Trust me, if, if there was any chance, any sliver of a chance of me fighting uh, those two times, because this happened twice already, I would have fought, but it was impossible. How have you managed to get this under control, or have you managed to get this under control? Yes, we have. Um, we've uh, we've been doing a lot of recovery. I've uh, been doing like a lot of uh, hyperbaric oxygen chamber therapy. Uh, it's it's um, 
honestly, it's it's a whole new world. Like, <laughs> I I never did recovery, you know, just just because I was I was always the type to just wake up and just run or, you know, in in the beginning of my professional career, I I was I wasn't like taking care of myself the way I should have, maybe because I didn't think I I needed to, you know, but. I I definitely see why I see like the older fighters like you know kind of taking it slow, uh, stretching a long time before and after. I do ice baths now, dude. It you know how long it took me to get step in the ice baths for the first time? Like it took me literally like ten minutes. I'm not even lying. We have a video. <laughs> um, in another video of me shivering in there. Now I just step in. And yeah, it it, it kind of sucks for like the first thirty seconds or so, but you know it's it's the benefits after that that make me want to get in. Having gone through all this, when you're sparring and training, do you feel like the old Virgil Ortiz, the guy we've seen over the last couple of years, you still feel like that same fighter? Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, I, I definitely feel like the same fighter. I don't think anything has changed other than the activity. But, you know, we're, we're going to get back there pretty soon. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, you've been, up until this last year, a guy that has been active. What's it been like for you to kind of have to deal with this where you're, you've become a once-a-year guy, not because you want to be, because physically you've had to be? It, you know, it sucks being a, a, you know, just fighting like every now and then, uh, once a year. It's, um, it's real depressing. You know, it's my job. It's, it's, it's how I make money for my family. It's, it's how I provide. And uh, it's... It's honestly the only thing I really know how to do. Yeah, I can play guitar, I can piano, I can play games, I can read. But you know what? What? What am I really doing with that? Boxing is the only thing that defines me. It's it's all I have. So not being able to do that, it's um, I feel like I'm existing for no reason. Hmm. You now you you mentioned that, and I asked you about the physical toll that your illness took on you. Uh, how about that mental toll that it took on you being unable to do what you're talking about, getting in the ring, doing what you love, doing what you do that provides for your family? What did that take out of you mentally? You know, mentally, it's just, it's uh, it's exhausting of knowing that you really can't do anything about it, or at least at the time I couldn't. Um, just just feeling worthless, you know? I mean, I honestly felt worthless, like, a lot of the days. Um, you know, there's a... In, in Twilight 2, in New Moon, there's a scene where Bella is just sitting there, just staring out the window, and the camera's just going around her watching the seasons go by. That's how I felt. Like, I just... I was just there. I was just existing. There was nothing for me to do. There, there was no point in being... I did not expect a Twilight reference from you, but I'll take it, Virgil. I'll take it. You would have been well within your your rights to take an easier fight in this first fight back. You know, coming back from something like this, being off for as long as you have. Instead, you're going right in with, you know, one of the best welterweights out there, a guy that's got a title at 147 in Amante Stanionis. Why was it important to you to follow through with, you know, the purse bid process and, and making this fight happen as soon as possible? Uh, well, first of all, I'm, I'm not going to pass up on the opportunity, you know. Uh, this is a good fight. This is a fight the fans want to see. It's a fight I want to be a part of. Uh, it's just... Uh, it's just one of those. It's it's exciting. It excites me. You know, it's 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 pure motivation, and I I wouldn't have missed it for anything. You know, but besides Rafa, but we got that taken care of. <laughs> no, you're right. It's it's exciting, man. I was talking to Edgar Berlanga recently about fighting Jaime Munguia because I think Edgar Berlanga Jaime Munguia is can't miss type of action. I feel the same way about you and Stanionis. It feels like your styles are are pretty conducive to a fan-friendly type of fight. Do you agree? Yeah, I agree. You know, they're, they're very complimentary to each other. And, uh, you know, we, we both like to bring it. Mm -hmm. Is this, right now, the winner of this fight will have a secondary version of that WBA belt. But you know, it, it seems logical to believe that 
you know, that will be upgraded at some point over the next, you know, six months to a year. Is this belt important to you, getting your hands on this version of the belt? It is important, you know, and it's um, it's it's definitely it's it's an important part of my career. You know, not many people get these kind of opportunities, you know, granted I worked for it, but at the same time, it still means a lot to me. Mm. What do you think of where the division is now, where we're going to have Spence and Crawford fight a couple of weeks after you on the same night that you're fighting, a guy that a lot of people want to see you up against, Boots Ennis, is going at it. You've got your stablemate, Alexis Rocha, starting to make some noise at 147. What do you think of the state of the division right now? I think the division is going pretty good right now. You know, uh, we got me fighting. Uh, we, we got we got three good welterweight cards uh, fights going on, like back to back to back. Um, and, and just in the month of July, you know, they called it the welterweight division, you know, the WAIT <laughs> version. But, you know, I feel like that's changing. I feel like uh, the tide's going to turn on July and we're going to see a lot more fights uh, happening between everyone's favorite welterweights. Yeah, and I've asked Boots Ennis this you know, as recently as a few weeks ago, and I've talked to Alexis Rocha about this. Like, uh, how, can will they be willing to do what Crawford and Spence, frankly, were not? They made the division wait for these big fights. And both those guys have said, we want to make the best fights happen sooner rather than later. I assume you have that same mindset. Of course. I mean, that that's why why be in boxing if we're, we're just sitting waiting around. I, I, want, I want to fight the best, you know. I'm of course, you know, we're here to to make money, but at the same time, I want the glory as well. I, I want to prove to everyone and mostly to myself that I'm the best. You have a perfect record and a perfect knockout record. Everyone that's gotten in the ring with you has been knocked out. Do you think about that going into fights about, you know, is there any added pressure to being not only undefeated, but somebody that's knocked everybody out? I can't say that I don't think about it because, I mean, you know, I, I do think about it from time to time. And it's it's a cool thing to think about. I'm proud of it. Um, at the same time, I don't feel any pressure necessarily. Uh, at the beginning of my career, I did try to look for the knockout a lot. I tried to force it a lot. Even, uh, you know, every now and then it does pop up again. In, in the McKinson fight, I, in the back of my mind, I'm like, okay, I'm supposed to knock this guy out. When is it going to happen? You know, and I, I would try to to make the opportunity happen. And, you know, eventually it just uh, it happened when I finally listened to my corner. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there's no added pressure at all, really. If I didn't get it, uh, I wouldn't have been disappointed. Um, you know. Well, Virgil, it's going to be good to have you back. July 8th, live on zone. I think it's going to be one of the fights of the year. It has the potential to be the fight of the year between you and Amanda Stanionis, the WBA welterweight title on the line. Good luck, man. Hope we see you uh, a lot more active this year and beyond. Damn. Thank you. Thanks for talking. That's it for this week's episode. My thanks to Mike Coppinger and Virgil Ortiz for joining the show. As always, subscribe, rate, review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you download podcasts. And I'll see you next week. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at, at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people, it gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. 
Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.